You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. This podcast is designed for professional horticulturists. But what if there was a way for us to travel the country while being highly paid? In this episode, Andrew Whitelaw, aka Wheat Watcher, illuminates us as to the career opportunities within the Australian agricultural industry, whether that's working with plants or livestock. He's an agricultural market analyst at Thomas Elder Markets, and he's also one half of the AgWatch podcast, both of which he runs with Matt Dilgesh, aka Meat Watcher. Just a note that we recorded this episode in February and I've held off releasing it because I've written an article for this episode's sponsor, Hort Journal Australia, based off of it. If you're already subscribed to the magazine, you'll be able to read two of my articles in the April edition. G'day Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, so today I would like to start by asking you, can you tell us a little bit about your role within agriculture? Yeah, quite a quite a broad one, really. I guess. Uh, so I uh, I am the co lead at Thomas Elder Markets, and so or TEM, and so at TEM we do market analysis. So this is uh, we basically we write about markets and we provide advice on markets. So what we do is we provide a a website uh, which provides farmers with completely free to access information and analysis on on markets you know on the products that they either use for inputs you know fertilizer chemicals diesel uh, but also think that the things they sell wheat barley canola livestock wool and look the reason behind that is that we want farmers to improve their knowledge and access to information we want them to have the same access to information that say uh, traders would have or um you know the big end of town. So, so, so we do that. We offer it completely free of charge to farmers. And look, we obviously have to make a crust. So we make a crust by we provide a lot of you know bespoke one-on-one advice to various companies, uh, government agencies, uh, and we do a lot of reports. So we do various reports on agricultural issues. And so, so that's a bit of a you know I guess you could think of us as being a bit like. A, those analysts who analyze stock markets, uh, we we analyze agricultural markets. Uh, and on the on the side, I'm uh, 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 we have a, a commercial piggery, about four and a half thousand pigs on it. Hmm. So you've got your foot in the brain side and in the working in the actual industry. So you can actually sort of relate with the people that you're talking with. Yeah, well, I can relate on how hard it is to be a farmer. Like yeah, how how you get a phone call that you know. 12 o'clock at night to say there's, there's been an issue or whatnot. And that's a wonderful thing because thinking about a farmer who's looking to plan ahead, they would like to know when they're doing their budgeting what things are going to cost and what they're going to be able to make out of it. So maybe this year they decide not to do wheat because of X, Y, Z reasons. 100%. Like I think fr- from our point of view, you know, one of the things that we, we sort of found is that there's a lot of hope and I hope and prayers to an extent that uh, <laughs> that, that permeate around agriculture. You know, we, we're going to plant a crop in 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 April. Uh, we're going to be planning for that crop in in January. So we're going to be buying all of the inputs and bits and pieces we need from straight after harvest. We'll be planning what we're going to plant, and then we're going to plant it, mm. and then we're going to hope it rains. 
<laughs> and then we're going to hope that the price is good at harvest when we come to harvest it. So what we want to do is just be able to provide you know, a data-centric uh, sort of analysis so that they can sort of understand what, what is actually driving the market. So you know, there's all sorts of events that occur in agriculture which, which drive markets. Like weather's a big one that drives supply and demand, but also things like the conflict in, in Russia or, like, or the potential conflict between Russia and Ukraine. So all these type of things, they drive the market up and down. And so what we want to do is, is remove some of the surprise people become aware of what's happening constantly. A bit like, I guess the way I sort of see it is looking at the markets is like keeping on top of your favorite foodie team. You just read a little <laughs> bit every week and then you know exactly what's happened to your favorite foodie team. Same sort right. of thing. You're just, you're just keeping your knowledge up. And we try and do it in a simple manner, you know, no no jargon. Mm. I nearly used a swear word there instead of jargon. Oh, I had to beep you. I wasn't sure about what the rules were on this podcast. <laughs> you can swear, but I'm going to beep you out with an ooga sound. Yeah, so I nearly used uh, a, a manure word instead of jargon. Ah, so so we've got that, and and I also uh, with my with my colleague, we've got a hobby that we run on the side. As we got a we got our own podcast, so I'm going to give that plug as well. Ag Watchers, Ag Watchers podcast, which is uh, uh, we like to f- we like to think of it as uh, Australia's least professional agricultural podcast, <laughs> where we sit around and talk about things that are happening in, in agriculture. You know, anything from, uh, you know, big international things to the production of black pudding. So we we, we, we have to like to mix it up a bit. So you've brought up the black pudding. I was going to bring that up later, but you've already done it now, so it's done. Can't go on a podcast without bringing up black pudding. No. So you didn't actually start your career in ag, did you? Uh, look, look, I, look, I did uh, start my career in, in ag. It's just, just just a long way away from here, right. and so. But I didn't start my life in ag. I guess my my intention was never get never to get into agriculture. I didn't even know anything about agriculture before I got right. into my career in ag, uh, which is probably probably quite unusual actually. And and uh, I can give you a bit of a rundown on how I got here. Yeah, if if you want. So That'd be great. as as many people. I might tell my accent is slightly different in that I've got a little bit of a Scottish tang there. And basically, I, I come from a, a small town in southwest Scotland. And uh, my intentions were completely different when I was in high school. I was going to go to uni and do computer and science. And then I was going to retire by the age of 30. <laughs> uh, I'm 36 now, so that clearly didn't work. <laughs> uh, but basically, I, I went to uni. I started quite young. I started uh, around about my 17th birthday. I started uni, and I was was on track to graduate uh, when I was about 19. Which you know, looking at it, I was just way too young. Right. And so I uh, decided to uh, do in Scotland what they do is called a sandwich year, where you, as part of the university, you go out and you find a business who'll take you on for a year, and then you you work in that business for a year. In, in a particular area, you might be working on a project. And then what you do is you have to write reports and stuff. And then so your degree becomes BSE, bracket sand. Uh, and then you basically, uh, you get an experience of, of industry. It, it delays your graduation by a year, which look, you know, for me, wasn't a big issue because I was still probably a bit too young. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I ended up, uh, look, I got a few offers. I got an offer to work in a company which produces uh, heavy equipment in um, 
in actually it was in Paris. Uh, I didn't really know much French, and I was told that by a previous person who worked there, I'd be uh, basically uh, making cups of tea for people. Uh, I got offered another one with another sort of IT company, a sort of large scale home brand that we all know. And uh, I was told the same by a previous student who'd been there that you know, I'd be making tea and coffee and I might get to print some stuff and photocopy some stuff. And I was thinking, mm. that's not really me either. Mm. And uh, I ended up, I, by chance, I went to an interview. I actually, I actually gave up on the idea of doing a placement. And then about two weeks before the semester was started, I got an interview with a, a animal feed trading business. And I had no idea what an animal feed trading business was. Uh, I had no idea of what they did. I had no idea of it at all. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go along anyway. Uh, and it was based in the docks of Glasgow. And for, for listeners who are not aware of Scotland, uh, uh, Glasgow is a rough area, a rough city, or at least it was back then. Uh, it was pretty, if you think of the, the bad areas of Australia, well, Glasgow was probably worse. And the docks and around about those areas is probably the worst of the worst. Uh, so it wasn't exactly the most attractive place driving up to, you know, a dock with scrapyards on either side of you and, and whatnot and, and a sewage plant and, and whatnot. And, uh, but I got there and uh, had a chat with them and, and they basically sort of, it seemed to me to be an interesting position. There was, there was, uh, I wasn't going to be sat there twiddling my thumbs. They couldn't afford to have me there because on a placement they have to pay you. They weren't, I could, they couldn't afford to have me there unless I was doing something. So I ended up working there. Uh, actually in an IT role. And look, I uh, I ended up sort of moving around that company, doing a whole bunch of different stuff. I actually ended up finding out after my placement year, and this is probably the most important thing about work, doing a work experience, is that I discovered what I didn't want to do. And I, I, we should talk about work experience in a bit because I think that's important. I discovered that I didn't want to be in IT. I, right. I, I, like, I liked IT. I liked computers. Like I'm a big geek, I'll tell you that. Mm. But I didn't want to be sat just twiddling away doing code or whatnot. I wanted to do something that actually was interesting. And one of the things about this animal feed trade or, or the grain trade in general that I found really interesting was just the fact that we were bringing in these vessels with 60,000 tons of animal feed that was going off to various different types of customers, whether it was to be fed to dairy cows, to chickens, to pigs, to be burnt in power stations, uh, to made for flavorings. It was just it was just so interesting because you know you stood there and you looked at these vessels vessels and you thought I'm bringing I'm working as part of a team bringing products from all over the world into Glasgow and then organizing trucks to take it away. It was just it was just the logistics of it. It's just and the fact that no one knew about it. It was just happening and people were driving by and they didn't know what was happening. But there was you know two million tons a million tons coming into the country every year and we're competing to get that business and it was just it was just interesting i found it fascinating and what i found really interesting was just the movement of goods the movement of of products and the way commodities interact with one another you know to give you an example and this is kind of comes back to i guess horticulture we used to buy a product which was a horticultural product we used to buy a thing called cpp citrus pulp pellets and these were basically uh, they grow uh, oranges. They grow oranges. They they put a, a tube through the orange, suck all the juice out of it, uh, crush them to get the rest of the juice out, and then you have all the peel and all the rest of the stuff in it. They then crush that into a pellet, and then they stick it on a ship, bring it to the UK, and then we feed it to animals. It smells beautiful, but it was just this fascinating to me. That was just fascinating to think that we've got these products that you know previously would have just been 
you know, dumped somewhere, but you've just got these products that are just moving around the world and we find a way to use them. So I found it fascinating. And uh, look, I worked, I worked, I ended up that company that I was on placement with for a year, ended up there for about five years or so, uh, doing various sort of different roles and, and really learning a lot about the industry. And then 2010, my wife and I, or my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, and I, we decided to, to come to Australia. We had no, I had no really intention to come to Australia before that, but she had graduated and she thought, well, let's go overseas and uh, we'll, uh, we'll work overseas for six months. And that was 12 years ago. And I started working in Australia quite quickly. When I got here, I ended up working for a, a grain trading company over here. And then I moved around a few different companies, moved from, from Western Australia to Victoria. And uh, after a while in Victoria, I ended up moving to work as, a, as an analyst with, uh, with another business. I wanted to become more independent of the trade because I didn't want to be part of the trade necessarily. I wanted to be somebody who was able to look at things independently. And then about 18 months ago, uh, the sort of the lead analyst from that company on livestock and myself, lead analyst on, on grains, decided that we wanted to do our own thing. And we set up TEM 18 months ago, and it's been going you know, very well. And, and I guess one of the things that we have is that Matt and I, and he'd be another interesting one for this discussion on careers in agriculture, because he's the same. He doesn't come from agriculture. But one thing we do have in common is that we absolutely love markets. We love the challenge of it. We love seeing what drives the market because it's all sometimes things that you don't think about or, you know, there's, there's an interconnection of, of mm. between different things. Such as the potential conflict in the Ukraine and Russia. Like you wouldn't have thought about that necessarily. Yeah. Or, or you know, the, the, the fact is that if China, for give an example, an interesting one this year, in the last 12 months has been China has stopped taking coal from Australia. Mm. What's that got to do with agriculture? Well, China, Australian coal is, is very efficient. By stop, them stopping using it, they have to buy coal from elsewhere. By taking away one of the world's biggest suppliers, it increases their cost of coal, but they also have to use more because it's not got the same thermal qualities of Australian coal. That means the cost of production on goods goes up, which means the cost of fertilizer goes up because fertilizer is heavily coal intensive because it's a highly energy intensive process. And then so if their fertilizer price goes up and their farmers can't afford fertilizer. So the Chinese government bans the export of fertilizer to ensure it stays within the country, which then puts the cost of fertilizer up for us. So there's these interconnected sort of chains of things that you wouldn't think, well, not using Australian coal, that's not going to have an impact on Australian agriculture. Well, it does. Wow, and so it's just that's what I found like absolutely fascinating about agriculture is that it's just it's all happening for the average punter. It all happens without them knowing about it. Yeah, that's a great point. So I hope our listeners can start to realise that a career in agriculture doesn't necessarily mean that you have to own a farm or you have to be uh, in in a stereotypical agricultural role, we're going to talk about a lot of different roles. But firstly, Andrew, can you define the term agriculture for us? Oh, geez, oh. Uh, define Feel free to term- use Wikipedia or something. Wikipedia, just, <laughs> hold on, just type, type, type. Look, to, to agriculture to me is, and then, like, I think it crosses, a, horticulture crosses across it as well. It's the production of, of renewable and sustainable products for the use of, in food production. I, I actually don't really consider it to agriculture. This might sound a bit confusing, yeah? I think agriculture is, you know, the first stage of food production. I see. 
well, we produce the inputs that go into every every meal, and and horticulture obviously with uh, with fruit and veg also does that. So I think from from my point of view, it's it's part of the food supply chain, and and this is where we try and get people to think in agriculture is not to think of yourself as a farmer, but think of yourself as part of the food supply chain because you need to know. Well, if you're producing lentils, yeah. You could be producing, oh, look, I can produce these really big fat lentils that weigh a lot, which means I get more yield, which means I get paid more. But what if that Indian consumer who buys the lentils, he wants a little tiny lentil for his dal. He doesn't want a big lentil. He doesn't want a big fat lentil. So you've got to understand the food supply chain. But I think to me, defining agriculture is is one of these things. It's It, it could be somebody on farm. It could be a farmer, but it could also be a person who organizes logistics to pick up that grain from the farm. It's such a, such a wide thing. I think it's the, I, I, I consider agriculture to be the agri, agribusiness and food supply chain. Mm. And that includes livestock and horticultural plants and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned before about work experience. Before we go into the different types of roles, can you tell us about the benefits of doing some work experience? Even if, would you say doing it for free is worthwhile or would you always want to get paid for that work experience or what's your advice there? Look, I'm a big advocate for work experience, a huge advocate for it. I, I've had two experiences in, in work experience that have really sort of driven my direction, I guess. First of all, I did work experience when I was in, in Scotland. I don't know if they do it in Australia because I've not gone through the Australian school system, uh, but we do two weeks of work experience in high school. Yeah, we did that. I think maybe one for us. I did carpentry. Yeah, well, I would love that. Oh, I'd love yeah, that. it was pretty cool. I'd do that just now. I quit my job tomorrow and become a carpenter. But so I, I was going to be a mechanic. I've changed, my, I've changed my ideas. That's probably one thing. I've changed my ideas a few times of what I want to do over my life. I want to be a mechanic. And uh, I think my mum and dad were like, yeah, he's not going to become a mechanic. <laughs> he's, he's not that good at stuff with his hands. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so they sort of, you've, got to sort of, you've got to kind of organize your own sort of uh, work experience. Uh, so you've got to find a placement. And they helped me get a placement with a, uh, a company which uh, had the contract. My dad worked in the council. He was a, he was a builder and organized a contract for, organized for me to go to a company which basically had a contract for the maintenance on council vehicles Uh, but what is the main council vehicle that they work on garbage trucks (laughs) garbage trucks (laughs) and so i was spending uh, two weeks underneath garbage trucks getting covered (laughs) in bin juice and stuff and getting greasy and it just it just what it made me realize is that i wasn't going to become a mechanic and I think that's as important. There's, there's people that did work experience and they said, right, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That made me realize after about two days, I realized this is not for me. I still did obviously the, the whole two weeks and I'd had fun. I, I remember they gave me a, I probably shouldn't say this, but they gave me a bag of pornos uh, when I left. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as, 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 you know, mechanics are like, but it was, it was largely, Something that I, I found that I, it got, gave me the ability to, to realize that's what I didn't want to do. When I did my placement, you know, I did a year-long placement in, uh, in, the, in the grain trade. That made me realize what I didn't want to do, but it made me realize I had an interest in sort of, I guess, economics and, and trade flows. And so that helped with that. So I think this is what work experience does, is it gives you the opportunity to 
discover what you want to do and flesh out what you want to do. Like as a, geez, as a sub 20 year old, there's no chance you know what you want to do. Things can look really good. I, I know people that say, oh, I want to become a trader. I want to trade grain and whatnot. And uh, look, it, it suits some people, but it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's, hmm. it's moving numbers around a spreadsheet. It's not, it's not Wall Street or Wolf of Wall Street or anything like that. It's, it's quite dull, really. And, and, and we get people saying, oh, I want to become an analyst. You know, and uh, then you say, right, okay, you're going to be sat at a spreadsheet you know, 90% of the time messing around with, with data, you know, thinking, and uh, having, you spend a lot of time just sitting thinking. That's all you're doing is sitting thinking, well, why is this done this? It's, it's like a Wordle or a Sudoku. You're thinking, why is that done that? And then you start to drill it down and start to say, well, I think that could be that. And then you take it to somebody else and say, I might take it to Matt and say, what do you think of this? And he says, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Uh, so you're doing that. You're doing a lot of that. You're not like people might see us doing presentations and, and whatnot and doing fancy charts and things. But there's a lot of work that goes behind that that is not necessarily that exciting. And you're probably doing it for not much money. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so, but, 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 but we do it because... You know, we love the challenge and we love the enjoyment of it. Yeah. But look, I think it's it's it, like it's really important to do to to gain some experience. And whether that's whether that's when you when you graduate from uni or graduate from school and do like a like a, a sort of a an apprenticeship or or whatever, that's probably the best way where you can actually experience different things. But I think in terms of the pay, I think when you're obviously when you're high school, you. You're not going to get paid for that, or we never in Scotland anyway. But that's maybe mm. because Scottish people are tight. Other, other, other than that bag of pornos that I got. <laughs> uh, but the, but when I did, obviously I did a year long pl- placement where I, uh, I, I got paid a, a wage. I was, I was, a, I was a salaried member of staff for that period of time. Not a huge amount, but look, I, I think in, in Scotland the, the rules would be that you have to really, you can't have somebody working for you for a year who can't pay the rent. No, that's not that's not right. And and I think like in the US and stuff, it's very common for internships to be unpaid internships or or like a hundred dollars a week, and you're living in New York City. Oh, good luck with that. That really only opens it to the, the the wealthy anyway. So I think like I think there's 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 a bit of a bit of that. Like we in in our company, uh, we're limited at the moment on taking interns. We know that a lot of the unis take on a lot of the unis do like a. A, like in agriculture they'll have you go out for like a one month placement and we in the past we have taken them on the issue we have at the moment is well the unis are all online now at the moment and mm. the reality is that you know we are working from home we can't really take an intern into your home mm. so but as soon as that opens up but we generally would what we generally do with the interns they know that's part of their course and they don't get paid for that mm-hmm. but what we would end up doing is we normally have them in as the as an intern and we don't tell them they're getting paid and then at the end of them we'll give them something no oh, that's nice. just to make sure well to us to us but they have to actually show that they're willing and capable mm. or at least or at least willing to put the effort in but but for us if they're doing something for us and it has value for us we have to pay them for it like i'm not mm. going to have somebody do it for nothing that's a great point because it's it's it that is also part of the that is also part of understanding the work. It's not just what you do. It's also understanding that you're going to get paid. You're going to get rewarded for your effort. So, so we think it's important that, you know, at the end of the week, we give them a paycheck and we take them for a beer or a mm. wine. Yeah. Because that's, that's part of the job, isn't it? Yeah. 
just on the other end of that, I mean, for me personally, I've done some free work in my life and I've found it very beneficial because I've gotten to meet the right sorts of people, get into rooms that I wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So it's sort of like, you know, you don't pay for education and I don't necessarily see that not getting paid to do small tasks, you know, I'm not talking about years, I'm talking about hours or days. Yeah, or, absolutely. Mm, get your foot in the door. Well, even even just that sort of coming in to actually the coming in just to see what the actual job is. Yeah. Like if I was switching to a whole new career or something, yeah, I think I would want to go into that business and sit with them and say, right, show me what you're actually doing. Like show me what a day is like in the life of. Because you take if you take, I, I know a lot of people have taken a job with the sounds that it's exciting and then a couple of weeks into it, they realize, oh, geez, this isn't what I thought it was. Because it's very hard to describe a job, I think. I think the other thing as well is that when you're young, you change your mind of what you want to do. You know, we we do a lot of traveling you know, with work, uh, pre-COVID, obviously. And like a lot of young people think, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, or oh, I'd love to be able to, you know, fly around. Like I think in, a couple of years ago, I might have done 70-odd flights in a year, which is not young people at uni might think, oh, that's fantastic, blah, blah, blah. You've gone all over the country Every week you're away somewhere. It's like it's not an attractive thing. It's not an enjoyable thing. Once you've done it a few times, like it becomes you've got a challenge of oh, I've got to fit that around, you know, school drop off and and whatever else. So so perceptions do change on things over time. So, but no, work experience is fantastic. It's it's definitely a, a, an important thing. We 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 actually do with our interns. We we sort of move to a policy of they have to do something before they come as well. Okay. Which would be standard. If, if we were employing a full-time member of staff, we would have to ensure that they're the right fit. We'd have to mm. ensure that they, A, had the ability to write something down, yeah? So you mean they've written an article somewhere that they can point to and say, hey, this or is me. just something they've written. Okay. And, uh, and, and, that's, and that's something that, you know, they, they, they sort of, they can identify and show that they've got that sort of just ability to write something down mm-hmm. uh, and, and work on their own sort of under their own steam, really, because, mm. you know, we can't babysit either. No, that's a great point. Because that's, that's, that's the other thing I'd say about work experiences. It shouldn't be about being babysat for, for, for a day. It should be about mm. you being able to actually also show your capabilities. Yeah, there's a give and take there. Each Absolutely. party needs to give and each party receives something back in return. Yeah, so yeah, work experience, absolutely fantastic. So what are some of the other areas that people can go into within agriculture, such as, you know, is it all just farm owners and or are there other roles in there too? Look, and, and that's, that's a point you made as well earlier on, and I think that's a really important one, is that there was a view, and look, there's still a lot of people in, in agriculture who come from farm ownership and and you know family farms and whatnot but it's becoming less important like again i don't come from i don't come from a farming background uh, or not my parents generation at least mm. i'm sure there was previously to that matt doesn't come from a farming background a lot of people i've worked with don't come from a farming background but you don't need to come from a farming background for a lot of positions and we see more and more people going into the industry who come from the city because the reality is, there are a lot of jobs, but there's also a lot of variety of jobs. So, for instance, you if you were doing, say, a science degree, yeah? Mm. You do a science degree, like a general science degree, 
you're then competing with hundreds of thousands of other people who have done a general science degree to get a job in whatever sort of science field. Uh, and then you probably have to do a PhD to actually get anywhere. Whereas in agriculture, you can do an agricultural science degree and you'll probably come out of, job, out of uni with a couple of job offers mm. already. And then you'll actually also be doing a job that actually uses the skills that you developed in uni. So, so there's the science-based jobs, eh? but look, but there's a whole gamut of different jobs, all the way from you know being a farm worker, working on somebody's farm, you know, and that could be anything from milking cows to you know producing chickens, eggs, you know, think think of anything that you're eating for breakfast or or lunch or dinner or whenever you're listening to this podcast. There's obviously a whole bunch of production agricultural workers who have made that, and then there's a whole supply chain who's got that from the farm to you. And then there's also all of the things that go into to to grow that product. You know, whether it's machinery, you know, big John Deere tractors, uh, bags, uh, chemicals, fertilizers, banking. You know, obviously, uh, if you if you want to run a farm or, or any sort of farming business, one of the things you need is debt. So so farming is a, a, a sorry agribusiness. Banking is 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 a, is a job position. So there's a huge range of jobs. You can't really pin it down. Basically, if you want to do something in agriculture, then there is something there for you. Mm. And there's horticulture the whole way through, right? So even if you're not physically growing crops or you're not the one in the tractor spraying or you're not harvesting or you're not pruning the apples off the tree, let's say you're dealing with cattle. Well, there's still a lot of soil science. There's a lot of Making sure that you've got the right plants in there. Yeah, it's all all, all pasture type of pasture, yeah. sort of ensuring your pasture's correct so you've got the growth rate in your animals. I think one thing I would say nowadays is that almost everything in agriculture involves an element of of science. And I'm not talking mm. sitting with Bunsen burners and stuff, but just <laughs> using you know technology and science to actually grow as much as possible. And to be as productive as possible. So, like, there is really, you know, this IT. There's there's a whole raft of new things in agricultural IT coming out. So there's really so much stuff, and that's why we're seeing, you know, so many people coming into the industry. And I think the other thing as well is that it's it's no longer a closed loop system where you know you have to have gone to a certain school and you have to have you know, you have to have a street named after you in a local town. You have to have been sixth generation farm. Like there's more and more people coming into the industry who don't have that that long experience. Like hell, I hadn't been to Australia 12 years ago, and I don't think anyone in my family had been to Australia 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely an opening sort of industry. Yeah, and you mentioned quite a number of times how you can get into agriculture from different sectors. Do you have any advice for somebody that may be coming from horticulture? Say like me, I'm in a garden maintenance role. What would you say for me, let's say I want to get out of the city, I want to go and make some money out in the country, I'm sick of prices out here and I'm sick of working for a low wage. Do you have any advice for someone like that? Do some work experience. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. but uh, what? I, look, at the moment, one of the good things about COVID, I guess, is let's say, for instance, uh, you know, the, the the horticultural game slows down a bit, the, the garden nursery bit slows down a bit for a while, or you just want to change. I could probably find your job in 10 minutes. Is that right? I could, well, I could, when I say 10 minutes, that would be me going to get a coffee first and then <laughs> making the phone call. The reality is that the, 
it's really actually hard to give advice on 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 that is actually valid at the moment on agriculture and how to get into it because you don't actually need to give any advice if you want a job in agriculture you can go and get one hmm. like the the, the the only advice you need is on actually if you're moving to the country is uh, you, you know finding a place to live and whatnot but but the reality is if, if you if you wanted let's say for instance you you could you could pick it out of a hat yeah you could, if you want to be a, a shearer, yeah, shearing is an extremely hard job to do, but it actually pays quite well. Uh, you could you could apply to Australian Wool Institute, uh, Australian Wool Innovation. They do a week long sheep shearing course that is, I believe, completely free of charge, including accommodation is is free of charge. And at the end of the week, you'll be able to have a certificate to say that you're you can shear sheep. And then you could join a sheep shearing team, and then you could travel around the country, and in fact travel around the world shearing sheep. And you know you'd probably be in, be in well, you definitely after a year probably be in six figures salary. Holy smokes! And that's from you know it's not like you're paying any you're not paying course fees because they're in such high demand. And COVID at the moment has meant that you know we used to get a lot of shearers from New Zealand; they're no longer coming across. And so there's huge demand. And I guess this comes back to this market economics, supply and demand. There is such a demand for, for, for staff. Or let's say you wanted to go into cropping. Well, seeding is coming up in April. They need people to work on, on seeding rigs. Uh, you, go, you go onto Facebook, you look for, 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 there's a farmer group, for instance, called uh, Preparing the Crop, which is a, a big group of about 26,000 odd uh, members who are all farmers. It's called preparing the crop, and then after the crop's prepared, they'll rename it to harvesting the crop. Mm-hmm. And you just say, "I'm a, I'm Daniel. I'm a hard worker. You know, I've I've worked in this industry. Blah blah blah. I'm looking to come across to agriculture, and I can guarantee you'll have a dozen offers within a minute. Hmm. Not maybe not a minute. Like I'm maybe being a bit facetious. You'll get a, you'll get offers very quickly from it, saying, "Come up here. We'll get you in. We'll we'll, we'll have you in for a while." And then look at maybe seasonal work, but you do that seasonal work, you get paid pretty well, and because there's no one coming in from overseas uh, to do these roles anymore, and then that gives you experience to then look at other jobs. There's just this is I cannot sort of highlight it any more than that. There is just so many jobs that, in terms of trying to get a job in agriculture, it's, it's really hard to give advice on it because if you want one, just go and get one. Mm-hmm. Like it's there is so much <laughs> demand, and. Uh, Look, I don't know if that's the same in horticulture. It- My feeling on it is that all the good staff are already working somewhere, and it's really hard to find a good job because there are some pretty bad bosses out there, and I've tried a few of them. Well, I think look, with, with, so so going back to that, getting a job in agriculture, yeah. What's changed now as well is is farmers are paying paying good rates, uh, but what they're actually also having to do now as well is you know you no longer it's no longer acceptable to have your farm staff in a, in a dirty old you know shed with, with no windows and whatever else there are all te- a lot of them are tending to put in you know high quality portable housing you know with mm. wi-fi and you know access to proper showers and you know the amenities you would expect and you would need as an employee so so it's really is is improving in a lot of cases uh, because because the reality is that if if you okay if you're getting paid i don't know 35 dollars an hour but the amenities are terrible and you're you know living in pretty bad conditions then You'll just go to the next farm. Like mm. I'll give you an example. Yeah, last last season during harvest, I was I was talking to to a guy, 
and there was basically young blokes uh, working on working on on seeding and whatnot, uh, harvesting. Sorry, and then there was a break in the in the harvest. It was raining, so these young blokes go into town and uh, they go for go for a beer, you know, a pub lunch, and then. Uh, by the time they finished lunch, another farmer had come in and, and noticed a guy sitting there and offered them a job and poached <laughs> them and said, I'll pay you an extra blah, blah, blah. I've got, got nice dongers and, you know, you have free cooked meals a day. And Can I just define what donger means before you go on? Like portable house. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so, so, so they had, uh, uh, see, I mean, I'm the one Scottish guy using Australian slang. <laughs> so 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 by by after lunch they had uh, they packed their bags up and gone off to the next farm and and been poached because there was such demand for them. Mm. And so look, I think this is it. This is the thing. I think the biggest things is um, if you're moving from the city to the country, it's probably knowing about you know understanding the change, the difference you got when you when you move to 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 the country. Obviously, there's a different mm. way of living. There's it's a cultural shift. You're not going to have access to Uber Eats or Just Eat, you know, and uh, your internet's going to be terrible, and you're going to be yeah. hours from hours from the city. But but you can still get good coffee, and you and the cakes are better. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so 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 there's that. But I think it's it's really a case of finding if that's the kind of thing that suits you. The good thing about it is, especially if you if you're if you're a young person, is the seasonality of it. In that right. you you could feasibly say, oh, I might I might. I might try that. I might see if that's something I would enjoy. And you can go off and do seeding or harvest, you know. And you're only really taking a month, two months out of your out of your career to do that. Mm. And you're getting paid. It's not like you're going off to do it as a, as a you know indentured servant. You you're going off no. to do it to get a wage. And, and probably if you you're probably getting paid, you know, one month's work, but probably getting paid three and a bit months wage. Wow. And you're also it's a bit like working on the oil rigs or the mines. You're not spending any money whilst you're there, because mm. you're getting all your meals provided for you. You're getting your accommodation provided for you. So you get to keep all that in your pocket. That's all in your pocket. Obviously, tax as well. You still have to pay tax, <laughs> but but you are uh, you're able to sort of save up a bit of money. What about somebody who has no experience in horticulture or agriculture? They want to get started. Maybe they're listening to this podcast because. You know, they want a career shift within a plant-related industry because they know they love plants and they know they hate their current role, but they're ambitious. What opportunities are there for career progression? <laughs> well, well, first of all, I, I, the, the other thing I would say is that hardworking ethic is, is going to be the key thing. Okay. That's going to be the key thing that people are going to look for. But in terms of the, the career progression, let, let's say, for instance, you, you, I'll give you an example, Roger Fletcher. Extremely well-known name in in agriculture. He starts off as uh, I think a drover, so basically moving cattle around. And now he's probably worth a billion dollars. I'm going to argue. Uh, so he owns processing plants, grain trading businesses, all sorts of businesses, land because he's he's worked hard and, and done. And that's an extreme example. But you know, there's nothing to say that a good farm worker can't then become a farm manager. And a farm manager can't, you know, eventually own his own little parcels of land. It's, it's expensive for land at the moment, but there's nothing, nothing to stop it. Like I'll give you an example that we, on, on our farm, we've we've got a lot of people who come through, and then some of them stay for don't stay for too long. Uh, some 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 stay and, and become the farm manager, and they get the responsibility of that. They get the 
the the wage of that. Another example is my colleague Matt. His uh, his daughter has uh, basically uh, finished finished high school and now works on a farm. She's got as her first job out of of, of high school, I think. It's, uh, basically, the, 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 Matt phoned a person he knew and said, "I've got you know got, uh, my daughter is looking for a job, uh, but I don't want any favors. You know, if hire her if she's good." And so they went down and had a bit of a, a trial, and now she works there full time and. They've given her a house to live in, a car to use while she's there, and she's working full time on a on a on a sheep and cropping farm. So, and look, she's she's what what is she? Nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, and there's nothing to say that she can't go off and do all sorts of different things. But she'll have the but she'll have the grounding and the experience of starting on the farm. I'm the opposite, I guess. I never I'm my my experience of working on the farm came. After I've been working in agriculture for fifteen odd years, mm. so there's lots of different ways in. Oh, lots of different ways in, and lots of different ways to move once you're in as well. Yeah, and there are some people out there who, you know, that idea of the nomadic lifestyle sounds cool. Maybe they want to go from one town to another, one farm to another, and see Australia. I reckon agriculture is a pretty great way to live that life. Oh, absolutely. Well, why do you think backpackers do it? Yeah, they come over here because they can. Oh, I can do harvest and. In Western Australia, uh, and then I can go around to Victoria and do fruit picking, but I can also save money. And then, then I can go to Byron Bay for two weeks, blow that money, and then go <laughs> one s- week, go back. Well, yeah, one <laughs> week, two days, and then I can go back into country and earn some and some more money. Look, and even the other end of the scale, we're talking about young people might want to do that nomadic lifestyle. It also applies for older people. Yeah, a lot of the grain trade relies upon grain nomads. Mm. So, so when we're when we're harvesting the crops, we basically have lots of grain storage sites which have samplers to sample the grain, and people who work on weighbridges and and whatnot. And a lot of them are uh, manned by uh, you know retirees who are on their caravanning around Australia, and it's a way to make an extra you know extra bit of crust as you as you travel around the country without. And it's not backbreaking work. When I mean, we're talking, it's sitting in a Sitting in a shed, stamping documents. So there's there's so many options, and that's another one. At harvest, you could work in a grain storage site, and that's a, another completely different part of agriculture. So again, this is the thing: we have this uh, the supply chain that has so many moving parts, which means there's so many jobs. And I guess everyone knows someone else, so you can sort of follow that. I don't know the yellow brick road, I guess, from one employer to another one through recommendations. If you're a good worker. Yeah, look, especially if you if you're a young person and you're not necessarily if if you're starting off in in I guess temporary type of seasonal roles, you'll be able to find things. And I think it's, to be honest, I think as soon as you've done you know one you know seasonal job with someone and you've and you've done a good hard job, then you're not going to struggle to get something elsewhere elsewhere because again, it's just demand. There's 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 a very small supply of 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 willing participants, and uh, and so the demand is extremely high. Are there any personality traits that you reckon make for a good agricultural professional, or is it does it depend on the role that you want to take within the industry? Look, I personally think it's the same as any other industry. I don't think. I guess that's the one thing I would say as well is it's it's the same things apply if you were a builder as well. Work hard, a bit of a sense of humour, hmm. and yeah, just do your job. Just be a good person to be around. Yeah. Exactly. You'll be a good fella or, or lady. And uh, and that's about it, really. 
I think I think the biggest challenge is to a lot of people coming into agriculture is if you go into, for instance, a country area, is is acclimatizing to that. There is a different culture in the country as opposed to the city, isn't there? Not. I actually don't think there is. Like I, I think okay. there's, there's there's an illusion that you know country people are all, uh, you know, that old view of of country people as being insular and whatnot. And like I don't think people in the country are any more insular than people in the city. Uh, there's as much diversity in in country areas as there is in in the city. I think you can get away with BS in the city a little bit more than you can get away in the country. There's nowhere to hide in the country. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's but it's still a modern, inclusive type of place nowadays. Yeah, you know, if you go to you go to a place like uh, Katanning in in West Australia, it's one of the most diverse uh, populations in Australia. You know, it has something like fifty-seven different languages spoke there. So yeah, but but I think there's there's, there's the challenges of, of even just remoteness. And obviously, if you are are uh, living, you know, far far away from from the city where your family is, that's that's a sort of an issue. But these are all things that that, that you get used to. But there's also benefits to it. Maybe you hate your family. <laughs> yeah, you hate your family. But if you're also, you know, it's close knit. You know, you've got the footy team if that's your thing. You got the cricket okay. team. And look, if you move to the country and you're actually living there full time, you've got no choice but being on the footy team and the cricket team, <laughs> uh, and probably the bowls club and bridge club and any other club that's there, you will be forced to be a member of it. But that's where you, where community uh, sort of gets together and does things. That's really quite beautiful because in the city, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, we're surrounded by people, but we don't know how to make a connection because we don't have that culture around the football club where everyone goes to the footy club or something like that. I think people in the city can often feel more isolated than people who live in the country. Yeah, well, if you live in an apartment block... Like I've, I've lived in apartment blocks and whatnot. Did I know anyone? Not really. I don't mm. think I would have known. I would have left that apartment block to meet other people I knew in other apartment blocks. Yeah, <laughs> but I, did, I didn't just sort of knock on the door and if if you did knock on the door and say, "Hey, how's it going?" You would. I think the police would get called. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but look, it's it's horses for courses. Like I'll I'll be completely honest. I I, I love the city. Uh, I love the country. I love I live in between both. I can. I'm on the very outskirts of of uh, in, in Bacchus Marsh. Like I'm looking onto the country. I can get into the countryside uh, very quickly. I can get to the city very quickly. So I'm I'm lucky. I'm I'm in between both. My 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 sort of my working life takes me into the country and it takes me into the city. And so that mm. for me is is the best of both worlds. And I know that some city folk don't like going to the city, I, and vice versa. But but I can say I could I could I like both. Mm. So have I neglected to ask you any questions around this subject of agricultural careers well i think the main thing is don't make any assumptions huh. don't make any, any assumptions that it's good or bad this it is a job it's it's and uh, if it's something that you're interested in doing then give it a shot like this there's plenty of there's plenty of opportunities out there look and i think the other thing as well is i haven't really spoken about it but there's actually a lot of schemes as well uh, there's a lot of money flowing into agriculture to actually get uh, basically uh, basically people to start in the industry. So I think the National Farmers Federation has some program. I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but don't hold me to it. But you can look on their website, like Career Harvest or something like that. And it's basically a, a program uh, that gives money to farms to develop their staff. And so, so there's all sorts of programs and stuff in there to encourage not just getting farmers in, 
or young people into farming or anyone into farming, sorry. I shouldn't say young people because it's not just young people. It's people of all ages, but also to retain them is mm. equally important. Yeah. So there's all sorts of schemes there. There's all sorts of uh, opportunities. And I think it's, I mean, it's like, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm odd because I've, I've not come into it with, with any sort of, I came into the industry really as, as open-minded and, and I've, and I've enjoyed, you know, a lot of flexibility and a lot of variability and a lot of variety. And look, I think it's, it's not for everyone, but I'm sure you could find any job that is sort of out with agriculture, you could find it in agriculture. Hmm. You know, if you're a plumber, there's <laughs> jobs in agriculture for plumbing, irrigation, you know, transport, plenty of jobs in that. So any of the jobs you can get away from agriculture are also in agriculture as well. Electricians. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's really plenty out there. And I think the other thing as well is there's, there's different levels. Like if you, if you already had a trade, then you're going to become even more attractive. Okay. Uh, uh, but really, it's the hard working. Yeah. And and I think one of the things I would say is that once you've once you've worked on a farm and you've and gained that experience, you'll become attractive to other employers in other industries as well, because they'll know there'll be there's a perception that you're you know obviously a hard worker. Yep, we've had in different workplaces that I've worked at, I've worked with a range of different people who've worked in agriculture. And you're right, if you've made it in agriculture, you've probably got a good head on your shoulders and you probably can work at least as hard as the rest of us can. And even if, like say, I know a, a lot of people have, have, have sort of done a transition from, I know it's probably not what we're talking about, but they've done a transition from, say, agriculture to mining. Hmm. Uh, and a friend of mine just now is uh, is looking at the same thing. He's he's looking to get a job on the mines uh, after you know more than a decade in agriculture, and it will be you know, obviously mining type wages. And uh, so this again, but they are heavily in demand because uh, the mining companies know that farmers are people who are hardworking and B can work outside in hot conditions, mm. and 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 without, without too much concern. And, and autonomously in a lot of cases, but yeah, like I think, like, like to me, horticulture and agriculture—it's—it's it's all, it's all the same. I know it's not the same thing you're doing, but it's the same kind of stuff you're doing. It's the same. It's the same requirements. It, it requires somebody who wants to work outside. Yeah, it's physical work, and also there's a lot of science behind horticulture that will translate into agriculture. So maybe you've done your studies in horticulture. Well, that could very well be applicable to a multitude of roles within agriculture. So it's a pretty easy transition, I reckon. Absolutely, yeah. And look, it's one of those ones where if, uh, like I say, if uh, horticulture jobs become you know, short supply, or even if you're self-employed in horticulture and you think, well, I'm, I can't find, I'm running out of customers at the moment. I don't have much much income coming in. Uh, so you can you can go off and do a harvest. Hmm. Like I, I'll give you an example. Uh, another sort of example is, I know a lot of people that have their own businesses, like people who are part of a farming family, they've gone off, left the farm, set up their own business, doing whatever, whether it's shed building or plumbing or whatever. And they've actually had to go back to the farm this year uh, to do harvest uh, because of the fact that the family farm, which they're no longer actually an employed staff member or, or have an ownership stake in, just can't get the staff. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a challenge. And I think that challenge is that even before COVID, it was really easy to get a job as, as, as say, even a farm laborer or a farm hand, really easy to get a job. 
what COVID has done has said, right, it's really easy. It's ultra easy now to get a job, <laughs> but also we're going to pay you more and give you better conditions. Mm. And, and I don't think that's going to change relatively quickly. We're not going to get influxes of backpackers because uh, it's just it's just too sort of, there's, there's a perception that Australia is, I guess, too quick to lock down. You know, mm. when, when I was back in the UK last month, and there's a lot of laughs and jokes about oh, Australia's had six cases. Let's shut down. Whereas <laughs> the rest of the world was like thousands upon thousands of cases, and you know, still going to the pub. So I mm. think there's a perception from a lot of backpackers. Oh well, if I go there, it's going to cost me a lot of money to get there. I can get a job here in the UK or Norway or wherever it is. Uh, I can get a job here anyway because it's demand there. Uh, but I don't want to go to somewhere and then get locked down. Like if I'm going to Bondi, I don't want to be in Bondi locked down in a bed and breakfast. Goodness, no. <laughs> so yeah, that's how you end up um, bankrupt. <laughs> exactly. So I think this is this is where 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 the sort of the industry is is has got a lot of challenges over the next couple of years. And look, there, there is automation and stuff which will take away some jobs, but there's a lot of positions that just can't be taken away. Great point. So Andrew, I always like to ask our guests one final question and it doesn't have to be on topic yeah is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about oh i i think i guess just you know have have a look at the industry uh, have, have a think does does it does it does a korean agriculture fit in with 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 what you want with your life because that's the other thing as well is you've not just got yourself to think about necessarily you've got yourself plus you may have a partner or you may have, may have a child does it fit in with that does, does maybe a country lifestyle you've got a you've got a, a five-year-old kid and uh, maybe maybe send them to a school where they know everybody in the school and it's you know there's good good local community maybe that is attractive but i think you've got to think about you know what you want from life and i think one of the things that is important to me on an individual level is not necessarily money but it's just doing something that i get take great i guess pride and pleasure in is 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 far more important to me than than just just uh, just the money. Like money's important. You've got to pay the mortgage or you've got to got to pay the rent. But sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's finding something that you know you actually take a lot of pleasure and pleasure and pride within. That's a great point. As a gardener, there is no feeling that's better than growing food and knowing that people are eating that food. It's just it's really special. Hundred percent. Thanks so much for a great episode, Andrew. That was a cracker, mate. No worries. Well, hopefully, hopefully it gave some some information, and hopefully, it's uh, hopefully sort of yeah, it gives people a different way of thinking. Like I'm not like I don't think I don't think horticulture is any different from agriculture. I think it's just a case of it's 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 the same but different, I guess. Mm. It's the same science. It's yeah, plant absolutely. science. Yeah. And it's the same type of it's the same work yeah. in terms of hardworking outdoors, hands um, in the soil, hands in the soil, exactly. <laughs> And but also an element of flexibility as well. Maybe pays better. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if part of that is because a lot of those horticultural jobs, you know, are reasonably close to large population centres. Yeah. Yeah. Like, say, for instance, in Bacchus Marsh, there's a lot of market gardens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they seem to truck in. Like, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know enough about it. But they seem to truck in. Like, you see them arriving in like a minivan with the Vietnamese hats on. Uh, from from I think Sunbury or somewhere or Sunshine. Whereas if I wonder, sort of, you know, be, being that close to population centres means that you can keep the wages down. And I also think it's that a lot of horticulture is really seen as like labourer work. It's not necessarily seen as a trade or a respected yeah. um, career. 
it's ba- we're basically sort of like just seen as um oh just come here and prune this and prune that and then hurry up and get out before you charge me more than 20 bucks or whatever yeah well we, we've got gardeners coming in sort of uh in the next couple of weeks we're, we're looking to sell our house and uh, so we're just getting the garden sort of tidied up and sort of we just sort of said look we want that tidied tell mm-hmm. us how much it's going to cost and and then when can you come? <laughs> yep. so. And the cheapest one probably doesn't know how to prune the trees properly, so they'll probably look all right for a little while, and then you'll come back in a year's time and you look at the trees and go, oh, what the hell? Why is it growing like that? Well, to be honest, for us, it's, it, it, the biggest thing was actually getting somebody to come out and do a quote. Okay, because you're so far. Well, you're not that we're, far. We're out. not far, but, but no. it's just at the, one of the things, and this is a thing that's, that's really quite interesting, is uh, that we've identified as a potential trend, along with another friend of ours who's a demographer, is that and you can maybe take this if you're still recording, that might be an interesting yeah. point of view, is that the reality is that there's a lot of people moving out to places like Bacchus Marsh, Balan, uh, Bendigo, uh, Ballarat, uh, who have come from metropolitan areas. They might have been living on a 400 square meter block in a house, and now they're living on an acre or more. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea what they're doing. And, but they're also still doing the job as a, as a lawyer or wherever it is from home. And they don't realize how much work it takes to actually run a house. Especially an acreage. An acreage, yeah. Jeez. And so, so we see there's been a huge demand for gardening services in the towns where people are, the towns where people are sort of moving into, where people are emigrating from the city to you know, Trenton or wherever else. This new influx of people who don't actually know how much work it takes. Like I, I've got, you know, 1,100 square meters or something, and it takes a lot of work. Yep. But also, I'm I'm still relatively close, so if I need a plumber, I can get a plumber fairly quickly. So I think there's a huge industry emerging for servicing these houses, like handyman services, mm. you know, base garden services. Like even even like if you if, like we know people that. Or heard of people who have moved from city centre apartments to you know five bedroom house with you know five acres on it in the countryside. They've not necessarily even emptied a gutter in their life. Yeah. yeah. Or a septic tank. What what do we do with a septic tank? Mm. You, you know all this type of stuff. Where the people who were living in these houses before were all used to that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and now it goes to a sort of a, a sort of a level where these people have to sort of potentially get somebody in so that's 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 probably the, the biggest market i see for 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 horticulture and gardening is is setting up your uh, your sort of handyman service in those areas interesting then it becomes a bit like agriculture where you have to sort of get into that local town you know rent a house set up yourself on facebook marketplace or whatever and then just build a reputation sort of uh, word of mouth i think it's a huge opportunity for that Great point. And I can just imagine the flyers and the Facebook ads now. It, you, all you'd say is um, something along the lines of, you really didn't know how much maintenance an acreage took, do you? Call me and I'll come and sort it out for you. And, and so you've got to buy yourself you know, a, a, a ute and a, and a trailer with a ride-on mm. mower. Because even one of the things is getting rid of all of the, all, all of the, the waste, vegetation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like, I, think, I think it's an ideal sort of, sort of thing to do if that was... Like if you went to any of these ones where there's just influx of people coming in, like we we like when we when we booked a booked a gardener, it was a six week wait for them to come. Mm. 
so for for a half day's work that they've they've done and done a fantastic job but it's still a long time yeah that is a long time and and that's what they were saying they this run off the feet yeah well thanks so much for coming on andrew no nope, anytime uh, hopefully hopefully people find it interesting yeah but a bit different from the normal horticulture ones would you or somebody you know in the horticultural industry like to earn a little bit of cash while visiting some of the beautiful parts of our country that are off the beaten track? There will still be plenty of urban horticultural roles available when you return from the country. That is, if you don't enjoy the lifestyle a little bit too much and end up staying there. If you're new to the Plants Grow Here podcast, we recently hit 100 episodes, so browse our back catalogue for something else you might enjoy.